Man, it's one thing for God to be good, and he is. It's another thing for God to be pursuing every one of us with that love. Your goodness is running after me. Man, you can't even get away from it. He's so good. He's good like nobody else. This morning, we're going to honor our uh, 2022 graduates in just a second. But before we do that, uh, I want to say thank you for, for whoever in here participated in our Children's Day yesterday at the Splash Pad, whether you gave candy, aired up balloons, uh, popped balloons, um, you know, bought pinatas. I don't know who did what, really. I, I just know it was good, and I'm thankful that we got to gather with our community. Uh, we survived the pinata smashing. I was... I was uh, I was on a, a really high level of anxiety for a little while, but uh, we made it through and uh, we, we survived. Thank you, Adriana, for leading us in that. Adriana, sorry. She loves for people to clap for her, doesn't she, Darren? She, she likes that. Um, so this morning, we're going to honor our 2022 graduates we have a small gift for you. Um, we're, we're not going to make a huge deal about this, uh, make you walk across the stage or anything, but we do want to celebrate uh, this accomplishment with you, and we want to commission you because we know that in the, in the next few weeks, years, things might look a little different for you, and we, we want you to know that this church is here for you, uh, and your next steps and your next stages, parents of graduates, friends of graduates, loved ones of graduates, we want you to know that we want to walk with you also. So if you are a 2022 graduate, will you please stand right now? Myla, Michaela. Y'all stay, y'all stay standing, stay standing. Um, they're clapping because they're shocked that y'all made it. It's a miracle. I mean, that's, they clapped for Jesus when he did miracles too. So um, we're really proud of y'all and we're always going to make fun of you and cut up. So uh, Kirk or Sarah, will one of y'all uh, hand out these Bibles? We have a Bible for you and we have a gift card for you to Sonic. Um, just want you to know that we love you. At this time, uh, church family, if y'all will go, uh, if you will go to one of these graduates and their families, and if you want to lay hands on mom and dad, lay hands on the graduates, uh, and let's commission them, let's pray over them. So if you will, just get up and move around, find one of them, and we'll pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we are so thankful for this, uh, this benchmark that, that these two have made it to and uh, thank you for walking them 
through uh, elementary school, junior high, and high school and being with them. I'm thankful that you are a God that never leaves us, no matter what. And we pray that your presence would be thick for them in their next steps, whether that be college or, or a trade or, or family, what, whatever. We, we pray that your presence would be thick among these two that we love so dearly. We pray for their parents. We pray for their siblings that are, that are also walking through change right now. We pray that you would be peace for them as well. This morning, we, we acknowledge that we want whatever you want for them, just like we want for ourselves. God, will you use them to accomplish your purposes? Will you use them to do things that they have never imagined in their own soul? Have your way. Do your thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations, guys. We love you. This morning, we're going to be in John chapter 6. If you want to turn there in your copy of God's Word, uh, Easter Sunday, we started a series called Pops, Pop Quiz. Not Pops Quiz, but <laughs> Pop Quiz. Uh, sorry, Mark. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about Pops. <laughs> Food. Um, pop Quiz. And if you remember back to Easter, maybe you weren't there and that, or here, and that's fine. Uh, but we were talking about how, you know, there's a lot of people in our world, and even I have had these questions about God or questions for God. You know, you hear people talk, if you could ask God one thing, what would the question be? Or, um, God, why would you allow this? Or, God, why did you do this? And it's okay for us to have questions. I'm not condemning questions. I'm not saying if you've got questions, you're wrong or sinful. What I am saying, though, is I want to bring us to a place where we acknowledge that Jesus asked some questions in the Bible, too. And it's probably more important, no, it is more important, that we spend some time answering the questions that Jesus asked instead of boiling on the questions that we have for him. You know what I mean? Because the questions that he asked are eternally pertinent for us, they're eternally important for us, and we need to wrestle with those questions. This morning in John 6, Jesus asks a question, and I had to rephrase it a little bit just for space, but in verse 67, he asks his 12 disciples, are you going to leave too? It's a really important question. Uh, and that's the title of the message this morning from John 6. It's no secret that the church has this problem um, when people like Michaela and Micah, uh, Mila, sorry, graduate high school and move on. Even kids that have been raised in the church, raised up in the church, when they leave to go to college or when they leave for next steps in their life, they leave the church also. It's no secret. The, the statistics are staggering. When you graduate, when you get out of high school, when you get out from under mom and dad's roof, you leave the church also. Even kids that were raised in church. But it's not just people graduating high school. There are people that have walked with the Lord their whole lives that come to a place in their life where they say, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. 
and they walk away. I don't have all the answers to that. I don't know that we can explore all the answers to that. But I think the circumstances surrounding what happens in John 6 will help us understand why a little bit. I've never heard this passage preached before. Um, it may be that I wasn't paying attention. I was, I was raised in church. I've been in church pretty much my whole life. But I've never heard this passage preached before. And it could be that I just wasn't paying attention when it was. But it also could be, this is one of those times where Jesus says a really hard thing. And thousands of people walk away from him. And if you're a preacher and you're preaching to a congregation that you love and you really don't want them to leave, you kind of avoid the passages where Jesus makes everybody leave. Nobody wants to be the pastor that had 200 here one day and then 12 the next. But Jesus had thousands of people that the scripture in this passage calls disciples. Thousands, y'all. And he says what we're about to read, and he's left with 12. Holy moly. But here's the thing. Jesus has also called us to wrestle with everything he said in here. There's some things that he says that makes us all stand up and clap and cheer and say, hurrah, we love Jesus. And there's some things Jesus says that makes us say, mm, I don't know about all that. And this is one of those. But we got to study it. I want to set you up with some context from, from John 6. We need to do that before we get into to where we're reading, uh, where we're actually studying. Uh, John chapter 6, above verse 1, there should be a heading. Anybody got a heading above verse 1 in your copy of the Scripture? What does it say? Feeding the 5,000. 5, okay. So this is the context of what we're going to read. Jesus has fed the 5,000, but actually that heading is a little bit misleading because Jesus didn't feed 5,000. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 is going to be on the screen. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He says the word people right there. And he asked this question, and this question is going to play into this message later. I need you to remember this question right here. Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? But he says people, and I want to point that out to you first. People, okay? Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. So when Jesus is talking, he's talking about people. But when the scripture's telling us how many people are there, it tells us how many men are there. You with me? 5,000 men. But Jesus was feeding all the people. There are estimates that say there were 10 to 15 to 20,000 people there that Jesus fed. Because it wasn't just men. This is a bunch of people. 
earlier in verse 6, Philip answers the question that Jesus asked, where are we going to buy bread uh, for all these people? And Philip stands up and he says, Jesus, 200 denarii will not buy enough bread for everybody here to have a little bit, a bite. Hey, Kirk, will you bring that board up here for me real quick? I want you to think about this because a denarius, I looked up a denarius uh, Google had a really weird definition of a denarius. I don't recommend that, but now that I've said it, you're going to look. Um, but it's, it's weird. Don't, don't look it up in here. Wait till you get home. It's King James version of uh, an animal. But anyways, a denarius is one day's wage. And, and this isn't going to work perfectly, but we need to put this into our perspective, okay? So I'm going to try to convert a denarius to like a dollar. Uh, minimum wage for, for Arkansas is what? $18. Eleven dollars <laughs> an hour. And most of the time we work an eight hour day. Okay? So eleven times eight is what? Oh, 88. Man, y'all are sharp. Well, he said 200 denarius, right? So that's 200 days wages. What's 88 times 200? Oh, not so sharp now, are we? Gotcha. Somebody said 17,600. Dude, smart. $17,600. So this is kind of what like Philip is saying to Jesus. Jesus says, where are we going to buy bread for us to feed all these people. And Philip, in our words, kind of goes, Jesus, it's going to take $17,600 worth of bread to feed all these people. That's an insane amount of bread. Y'all, this ain't... In, you, know, you know when the, when the snowstorm comes... Or they say the snowstorm's coming and haze gets wiped out. You can't get no milk or bread in a three-county radius. This ain't, this ain't even like that in our day. Y'all, I was thinking about this week. There may not have been $17,600 worth of bread in existence on the planet when Jesus did this. You're like, they didn't have haze. They didn't have Walmart. You don't, you don't go buy bread like at the supermarket. You go, you go buy bread at, at these, these little places that sell a few loaves. They, they might have like 10 loaves. And Jesus is asking the question, where are we going to buy bread for $17,600 worth of loaves to feed all these people? And, and I want you to see that because this miracle is, is skipped over, but Jesus provided something that wasn't in existence. This ain't, oh man, we made it to church this morning and we didn't fight. It's a miracle. You do that. Some of y'all did this morning. You can't even make eye contact with the other one because you know. <laughs> Me and Beth don't ride to, ride to church together. 
Or, oh my goodness, we made it to church on time this morning. It's a miracle. Oh my goodness, I found a parking spot at Walmart on Black Friday. It's a miracle. No, this, this is impossible. This, this amount of, of bread does, doesn't exist in the world. You cannot get it. And so Jesus asks his disciples, where, where y'all want to go buy this bread? Because he wants them thinking this bread can't be gotten. And Jesus is like, there's, there's one way to get it. I can provide it. Above, above verse 16, you should have another heading. What does that say? Walking on water. Jesus feeds the 5,000 men, and they wake up the next day, and it's breakfast time, and everybody's looking for Jesus. Bellies have started growling again. And they see the disciples get in a boat, but they didn't see Jesus get in the boat. Jesus left before they did, but he didn't leave in a boat. But he walked across the water. And the scripture records in that, those few sets of verses that he walked three or four miles. And I think that's important because the scripture wants you to know that Jesus didn't find a shallow spot to walk. He walked all the way across the lake, three or four miles on top of the water. Incredible. Jesus ain't normal. Verse 22, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. The first thing that I want us to see this morning, that is so vital in protecting our faith and continuing our walk with the Lord, is this. Doing will kill our faith Believing will sustain it. Did you see what happened there? Jesus walks on water. They're looking for food. They finally find Jesus. And Jesus tells them, he, he faces them with this question. You're not looking for me for the sign. You're looking because you're hungry again. And finally, they ask Jesus, what can we do to do the works of God? They were not programmed in their mind 
to be able to rest in the doing of another. They had to learn how to do the works themselves. And y'all, we're not far from them. We are all about doing. We want to earn. We want to do. You remember a few weeks ago when I told you that Jesus does not need you to defend him, he can defend himself? Jesus does not need you to do anything for him. He does what he wants. This is the thing. This is what we do. We rest in Jesus. We trust Jesus. We follow Jesus and we pursue Jesus. And that is all. And then he begins to do through us what he wants done. But when we come to Jesus and we get on fire for Jesus and we're excited about Jesus and we start using language like, I want to go do something for God, we will burn out. If you have the New Living Translation, does anybody have that? Derek, will you read? Um, <laughs> one of the Derek's, there's like 12 in here, I think. Will you read verse 29? Because I love what the New Living Translation says there. Did you hear that? This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he sent. Fall into the one he sent. Surrender to the one he sent. Believe in the one he has sent. That's all I want from you. You cannot do anything to earn this, but the enemy will tempt you to go out doing for God, and before you know it, you are burnt out before God. Stop doing to earn favor with God. You want favor with God, believe in the one he has sent. And you won't burn out. We do not move on from surrender at the cross. We do not move on from the gospel to bigger and better things in the, in the Bible. Some of you guys in here, I know that you have, you've wanted to stand up, kind of like Dusty's testimony last week when we baptized Dusty. You, you've been wanting to stand up and say, Jesus, I surrender, but, but you've, been, you've been wondering, can I do this? Can I follow Jesus? Can I actually do all that they're wanting me to do? Can I, can I do what the Bible calls me to do? Can I do this? And, and part of that is good. We do need to, to think about, am I ready to fully surrender to Jesus? But if you're thinking about that, if you're counting the cost in the wrong parameters, you'll count the cost all the way to hell. You have to count the cost within the parameters of, can I just rest in Jesus being enough? Because you can't do it. And neither can I. And nobody else can either. If you try to do it, you might for a little bit. But you'll burn out and lose your faith.
Verse 30. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you? The bread wasn't enough. The walking on water wasn't enough. Jesus, we're looking for a sign. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am seven times in the book of John. He says, I am something. It's called the I am sayings of Jesus. This is one of them. He says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has given me but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started complaining about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. It might help our faith if we just obeyed verse 43. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and, and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. After this, thousands of disciples leave. And, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you got to start asking questions. Jesus said, you're, you're going to have to eat me and drink me. Everybody's wondering, is Jesus a vampire? Does he want us to be vampires? What's going on 
He's telling us to eat his body and drink his blood. That's weird. So everybody leaves. But there's something that's really important going on here. They had come to Jesus to get more bread to fill their bellies. But Jesus is not that kind of God. Let me tell y'all something this morning. I don't know why you're here today. I don't, I don't know why you're here today. I don't, I don't know why you would want to follow Jesus. But there will be a, a day when this question is asked. Why are you here? It will be asked by Jesus somewhere in your walk with him, why are you here? And it will be posed in the form of a difficult circumstance, just like he just posed to all these disciples. He's, he's going to say, are you going to follow me now when it's hard? You may be here this morning because you saw that a pretty girl was coming to the bridge. That may be why you came. And Jesus is patient and merciful. And he may use those circumstances uh, to work in your life. He is that good. His goodness is running after you. But there is a day when he will say, okay, now for real, why are you here? And that's what he's asking his disciples in this passage. Are you here so that I can give you enough food to get through breakfast? Or are you here for me? And, and that's the second thing that we have to talk about this morning. Coming to Jesus because he gives prizes instead of valuing him as the prize will kill our faith. Coming to Jesus because he can heal your family member is one thing. And he might. But Jesus is not a genie in a bottle type, physical healing type God. We come to Jesus because he is the prize. I, I don't... I don't say a ton about hell, not because I don't believe there is a place. I am sure there is. But I don't want you to come to Jesus to get out of eternal hell. I want you to come to Jesus because Jesus is better than hell is bad. Are you with me? Jesus is the prize. But, but so many times, we come to Jesus because he hands out prizes. We come to Jesus not to get Jesus, but because of what Jesus gives. What are some ways we do that? Tell me. What are some things we come to Jesus for that we know Jesus can do that nobody else can do? And that's why we come. Healing. Warm fuzzies. And when we stop getting the warm fuzzies, we bail. Relationships. Relationships. Huh? Deliverance. Get us out of jail. Get us money. Give me a new truck. Are any of those things sinful? 
No, it's not, it's not sinful to beg God for deliverance or, or for beg God for freedom from jail or for beg God to even bless my business or what's, what's going on. There, there's nothing wrong with that, but when that becomes the prize, we've missed it. It's, it's no longer Christianity. And that's when Jesus asks us the question, every single one of us, eyeball to eyeball, why are you here? Because listen to me, he don't need us. He didn't need these thousands of people that were following him. He didn't need the 12. But he does want us to look inside and say, why are we really doing this? I want you to look at this verse as a prime example because this is, this is a verse that is the sponsor child of every public prayer gathering you'll ever go to. You're gonna, if, if there's a public prayer gathering, this verse is going to be up there. If I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and here it is, and my people who bear my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Y'all have heard that verse. If you've heard of a public prayer gathering, you have. That is the sponsor verse. And it's been used so much that it's almost kind of got a weird feeling when you, sit, when you hear it even. But this is a promise of God. Do y'all believe this is a promise of God? Do y'all believe this is true? This is scripture. Do you believe it's true? Have you seen much land healing? Have you seen just a lot of land healing? Like we're not divided anymore. God's healing our land. I mean, isn't it so awesome to live here now? Why? Why is this a promise of God, but why are we not seeing land healing? Is God a liar? Or does this, this part of the passage and following mess us up? We read this verse and we see this here from heaven, forgive sins and heal land. And we're thinking, I want that. So what do we do? We go to God to get that. I'm, I'm going to go to God so he will heal the land. I want to go to God uh, so that he'll forgive the sins. I want to go to God so, man, he straightens up all this mess that we're in. I want to get that from God. But God didn't tell us we had any part of that. This is his part. You with me? Our part, my people who bear my name, humble themselves. Seek my face and turn from their evil ways and stop right there. That's our part. But we don't want that. You know what I'm saying? We don't, we don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to seek just God. Just, just pursue God. Not healing the land. Just, just pursue God alone. We don't, we don't want to do that. We, we certainly don't want to humble ourselves. 
uh, we certainly don't want to turn from our evil ways. We want our land healed. And that's what we're trying to get. But you don't get your land healed if you don't do it God's way. You with me? When we see, this, this is a passage of revival. This is a passage of a promise of God that when it happens, we will see God move in a way we've never seen before. But God does this when we do this. Not when we set out to do this. And, and this is the problem, y'all. We, we come to God to get his gifts and we miss both. But when you pursue Jesus, just for Jesus, and I don't care what else happens, you'll get everything. He is the prize. There is no greater. Keep reading with me. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, does this offend you? Uh, Verse 61. Did y'all see that? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this. Y'all, Jesus knows absolutely everything that we're doing. You, You can't get around him with what we're doing he knows does this offend you then what if you were to observe the son of man ascending to where he was before the spirit is the one who gives life the flesh doesn't help at all do you hear that you can't do anything for yourself The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning that those who did not believe and the one who would would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? There's the question. Are you going to leave too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. Jesus says, You don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter, Lord, to whom will we go? I want you to notice what Peter did not ask him in response or didn't say to him in response. He didn't say, no, I get it. I think what you just said is awesome. He didn't get it. Jesus said, eat my body and drink my blood. Everybody was like, what on earth? But Peter said, I'm not going anywhere. Why? Where else will I go? Number three. If we can go anywhere besides Jesus, we will. And it will kill our faith. If we can go anywhere besides Jesus. Y'all, this is, 
This, this observation right here is why I am so horrified of making what we do up here anything more or anything less than just Jesus. It's, it's why I'm horrified of, of claiming some kind of denominational stance because we're about Jesus. It's, it's, it's why we, we don't talk about anything. It's, it's why every message, every song is about Jesus. It's because He's it. And if there is some list of priorities for us, number two will always be competing with number one. If I can go somewhere else, it'll get hard one day, and I will. Let me, let me ask you this. You have proposed to your spouse, or you've been proposed to by yourself, by, by, your, by your spouse. <laughs> Uh, I get confused on that. Beth asked me to marry her, you know, so I, I'm kidding. Um, she's not here, so I can say stuff like that. So, but, but you get to the altar and you're saying your vows. And you say, to have and to hold from this day forward till death do us part. I'm going to love you all the time. And it's going, we're all crying. And it's, man, it's beautiful. And it's your spouse's turn to say their vows. And they say to you, I'm going to love you unless somebody better looking comes along. Or unless somebody with a little extra money comes, a better job. If somebody comes along with a better job, you know, I got to do what's best for me. You would say, no ma'am or no sir. Because when you are at the altar and you are making a confession, a commitment to your spouse, you're not just saying yes to your husband or yes to your wife. You're saying no to everybody else. You're saying there is no other. It's only you. It's always you. It's forever you. If it gets ugly, it's you. If you nag, it's you. If you go hunting too much, it's you. If you spend too much money, it's you. If you save money because you're too tight, it's you. And it is nobody else. And it's the same way with Jesus. When, when we follow Jesus, we don't say, Jesus, it's kind of cool right now. You gave me some warm fuzzies. Boy, I felt a weird feeling when, you, when, when the preacher said that today. And I thought it was awesome. So I'm going to choose you today. But you know what? I might have to trip back into my addiction or my alcohol problem or even my family. This is why Jesus said, if you don't hate your mother, father, son, or daughter, you are not worthy of me. Because there, there is no second places with him. It is all and only him. We say with Peter, we say with Peter, where else would we go? There's nothing better. There's no one else. I can't get help from anybody for the problems I have. It is always and it is only you and you are enough for me.
Is Jesus enough for you? What if the heaven and hell talk went away? Would Jesus be enough for you? Would you want Jesus if it was only Jesus? Can Jesus work miracles? Can Jesus do more than we can ever ask or imagine? He can and he does. But do we want Jesus for him or for what he gives and does? You can't have what he gives and does until it's just him. And if it's not just him, you'll look up one day and you'll be walking away with the crowd. This morning I can preach this message with confidence because I've had this roller coaster type faith where I've been in and out and doubted and passionate. I can tell you with all authority that Jesus is good and he's better than anything else you can pursue with your life. And if you want him, I want to give you the opportunity to trust him too. But I also want to give you a heads up. If you want Jesus because your marriage is on the rocks and you think he might can fix it, that's not, that's not this Jesus. He's not a genie in a bottle. He might fix your marriage. But the way you find out if Jesus is going to fix your marriage is just pursue him. You you got some kind of addiction going on. You got something that you need freedom from. I get that. And Jesus can free you. Jesus can heal you from addiction. Jesus does whatever in the world Jesus wants to do. He can change everything. But if you come to Jesus to get that, you'll miss both. Come to him because he's better than than you can ever imagine. And he's pursuing you with his goodness. If you want to trust him for the first time, I want to give you just a couple of seconds to stand. Stand up and say, Dustin, I want to trust him for the first time. Right now. Takes a lot of boldness. I know it's scary. We don't do it to scare you. We don't do it to intimidate anybody. But we do it because the scripture tells of a real Jesus that's worthy of your life to follow. And we can stand up and and honestly and boldly say, I need it. If you want to trust the Lord, you can stand right now. I want to go back to that first question that Jesus asked. When he fed the 5,000 men, where are we going to go buy all this bread? And Philip responds with this incredible number. It's impossible. You can't can't feed this many people with bread, even for anybody to get a bite. But Jesus did it. And this morning... Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, if you're hungry, I I hear this said a lot, like, I am enough. I hear people say that a lot. 
I want to I reply and say, you're not. You're not enough. But Jesus is. Jesus is plenty. Like there's dozens of baskets left over after he's made this from nothing type plenty. Like you can't overindulge on him. There's too much there. He's all satisfying. He keeps us full. And this morning, we're, we're going to come up here and we're going to do exactly what Jesus was talking about in the Scripture. This, this represents a lifestyle of us feasting on Jesus together. It's not literally His body, literally His blood. This represents His body and blood, and it represents a lifestyle that we live as believers where we know where to come when we're hungry. And we come together to the table. We're going to have communion together. And in just a second, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you, if you're a believer, to come up here and get a piece of bread and a cup and we're going to celebrate together and we're going to sing a couple more songs and then we're going to be done. When I pray, if, if you're a member of another church and you want to participate in this, you're fine doing that. We do ask that you only do it if you're a believer. We don't want to leave anybody out. We don't want to embarrass anybody. That's not the thing. But our king commanded this to be only for believers. And we honor him and only him. So that's why we do that. Okay? I can't even tell you that I fully understand all that. But Jesus said it. So that's what we're going to do. Okay? If, if you're a member of another church, though, and you want to you celebrate with us and you are a believer, you're welcome to. We invite you, your family, to us. Father, we come to you this morning. And we are so thankful that your goodness is, is running after you. And God, if we're honest, if we're honest with our own souls, we may even say, really, you're not enough for us. We, we might say you are, but, but we tend to pursue other things. We tend to grumble. We tend to make it, what it, make it about what it's not about. Would you use this time of communion to bring us back and, and nail it down that you and only you are plenty? I'm convinced that if, that if you are our only pursuit, that we'll get everything. But if we want you because of what's down the road from you, we'll wind up broke. Use this time to even bring someone to you. I, I don't know exactly why you tell us that this is only for believers but I know you're not random. So I pray you would use it to accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.